Usage-based pricing is becoming more and more popular. Led by the wild popularity of cloud service providers such as AWS, customers are demanding more visibility into usage information and more accountability for the dollars they spend on a service. But historically, service-oriented products have shied away from usage-based pricing because of the complexity involved in managing the data involved. Amberflow is a service that provides a platform for building and deploying usage-based pricing. Poonit Gupta is the CEO and founder of Amberflow, and he's my guest today. Poonit, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Great to be here with you, Lee. Thanks for having me. So we both worked at Amazon for many years, and I know we, we talked before we started recording here. We overlapped for a few months, but I worked on Elastic Beanstack and you came to work on Elasticsearch. Uh, what came of those days in Amazon? What were you, what was your your experience like at Amazon? Yeah, you know, we can go on, on this for a long while. Uh, first of all, it's just great to be uh, speaking with you, you know, just a fellow ex-AWS. You know, I'm sure we have a lot of stories we can talk about, we can share. Um, you know, what I recall, Ali, I think... Memories are short and, you know, we're talking, I, I had the, you know, luck of joining them back in 2011. I know you've been there much longer and, and way on on the earlier days, but even 2011 now seems like a, a ways gone by. And it was definitely still relatively early days for AWS because I think when I joined, I remember it wasn't even quite a half a billion dollar ARR business yet. Yeah. And as you and I were just kind of chatting. Then you launched, you had just are on the ways to launch Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, I know RDS had just come through maybe about a six months year before I came on board. Uh, DynamoDB was being actively worked on. I know I had several conversations with Swami um, yeah. and the Hurn, uh, there were some intersection points with, with DynamoDB. But I have, uh, uh, you know, some very distinct fond memories. I think, you know, some of the things have been talked about more recently uh, in the media, we're all industry by just the Amazon ways and, you know, the leadership principles and culture. And uh, I don't know, I was just kind of a sucker for that. I, you know, I, I valued that, that, you know, here was a company that was disciplined about how to go about things. Um, and more than just being disciplined, was able to execute and carry that forward. Um, and I have thought about this, uh, you know, over the years, and, and I would maybe could even perhaps summarize, you know, I felt that if if you were uh, at AWS or Amazon and you were in your element, and what I mean by that is, you know, you liked what you were doing. Like, you know, you were working on something that you were passionate about. Uh, I think that's the best place to be at, you know? So that's really how I just chalk it up. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying, uh, just putting out a blank slate that everything good, everything bad, you know, everybody draws their own experience from, where they were in the organizations, a big company it was already a big company back then, but that's sort of how I netted out. I mean, I just, I loved what, you know, I, I, um, they trusted me with a lot, you know, coming in as a GM, having a chance to build a couple of AWS tier one services. I, you know, I just enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah. What I, what I loved about it is, uh, you got to do some amazing things, things you could never do anywhere else. And, and they, they never really said that's too big. Yes. That was that, that phrase just didn't exist in their terminology. And it's like, you know, 
you know, we're going to build blah, which is impossible, but that's okay. We'll do it anyway. And no, uh, yeah, exactly. I got sent out of the room a couple of times think, saying that you were not thinking big enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a very tough place to work is what I found, but extremely rewarding. And I learned more in those, you know, seven or seven and a half years I worked at Amazon, um, both Amazon retail and AWS for me. Um, I learned more in those years than I did anywhere else I've ever worked my entire career. And it's really driven a lot of the success I've been having in, in my consulting career and stuff since then is my time at Amazon. And so uh, I, I very, very much value that experience. Now, they were a big advocate of usage-based pricing. And in, in my opinion, it really drove a lot of their success. What, what do you remember about their strategy with usage-based pricing? And how did that drive your decision to make it part of your career? Yeah, you know, so I'll, I'll unpack that because I think I'm sure others sort of had a similar experience. I mean, it's always a big place. So I, I just, by law, statistics and probability, I think, you know, others may have hopefully drawn similar lessons, but I will at least call out uh, my vantage point, somewhat unique, uh, and it's sort of as follows. So, you know, I, I came to Amazon about, you know, I don't know, at the time I had, what, maybe 15, 17 odd years of experience I already had in the industry before I came in. And that experience was spread across uh, distinctly B2B enterprise software companies. Right, so Oracle and you know a couple other sort of large names. So I had a good view of you know what enterprise enterprises look like from both inside out and outside in. Um, you know, go to market, selling motions, how products were sold and bought, and then also building technologies inside some of these large organizations. One other thing, uh, Lee, that struck me, literally on day one, as you walk in the floors uh, inside AWS Amazon, is this data-driven culture. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, and you know, maybe because I had worked at some places where a lot of it was just kind of uh, hand-wavy as, as things are, you know. Um, so I was immediately drawn to it. I, I drawn to it, not just, you know, the, the actual data itself, of course, but, you know, I was kind of immediately looking to see what's behind the scenes. How, how did this happen at a company already at this size and scale? That it is... Um, so distinctly data-driven. Uh, where is this data coming from? Why isn't anybody questioning this data? And uh, you know this level of alignment around the uh, around this whole culture around you know data-driven. So that was the starting point for me. And uh, uh, you would recall this, right? So the, you remember those uh, those Monday, Wednesdays, uh, rain or shine, ops review, and business. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and if you recall, right, you know, we used to walk in there at 9 a.m. The best uh, of times, the worst of times, right? It's the <laughs> worst of times, 100% depending on what something you came in on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh -huh. I, I have, I, I'm going to stop you for one second. I have a story I tell people when I'm talking about operations, excellence, and things like yeah. that. Is I'd get paged in the middle of the night for some problem with my service from one of my engineers. You know, they would call me and they would tell me that we're, we have a problem with our service. And my first thought wasn't, okay, what are we going to do to keep the, to put the service back up again? My first thought was, damn, how many days till Wednesday? Because I knew what, I knew what it meant is, you know, I'd have to report to the entire 
management chain of AWS of what happened and why my service failed. Well, because yeah, you're thinking COE in your mind and you know, can I make it to the next week? I have to get it in for this week. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Go ahead. Let me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. No, no, cool. You know, well, so anyway, so, you know, if you recall, you know, that, that meeting and of course it was all data driven. In fact, back in the day, yeah. as you recall, we used to punch out those 300 page double-sided decks that used to get mm-hmm. handed out. Uh, yeah. So I was, you know, when I walked into that uh, setup, it was an eye opener for me. I said, my God, right? I mean, this, this is how every business should be run. I mean, this is it, right? Because uh, if there's a thing of sort of a holy grail of business operations, this is, it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, not saying that, you know, it's just, you know, utopia or anything like that, but, you know, by and large, data is making, is driving that meeting, right? And yes, you have everybody there all the way from Andy Jesse to everybody, you know, from product managers and, and engineers, but it's data that's driving the discussion, you know, for four hours on the ops review and the business review. So that was a light bulb moment for me. Because I have, you know, like I said, been at other places where it was nowhere near that. It was all about a lot of times, unfortunately, titles and, you know, just ad hoc and hand wavy stuff. So I just kind of, without even consciously and actively seeking it, I just was driven to understand how did it get to this stage, right? Because somebody must have had to think about this. Somebody must have a vision that this is how we're going to do. This is how we're going to scale. Anyways, long story short, um, I sort of, uh, like I said, you know, not purposely even went seeking, but you know, I, I was intrigued by how this data was being collected, how this data was then being curated, how this data was being, you know, summarized into that weekly deck, and everybody was basically, you know, driving and making decisions on that. So I started to kind of unpack that sort of the AWS way, working your way backwards, you right. know, from that. <laughs> And, um, you know, just being a technologist and, and being on, on, you know, on the engineering and technology side of things, I felt, you know, I discovered that the artifact that really was responsible for doing that was a homegrown service owned by the shared platform services team called Cloud Metering. And then I got to work with that service as, you know, when we were starting to build Cloud Search, uh, which was the first search engine that we launched and they, then later Elasticsearch, because uh, you have to then tap into the cloud metering service to basically send our instrumentation. To do billing. And, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. But billing is then the second artifact. The first artifact is the weekly report, right? So for me, for my own, as a GM, uh, so, you know, so here it was just systematically layer after layer. So... This was the first place that I'd been in my career where me as a product owner in the product org had first level direct level visibility to what my customers were doing even before the sales teams did. And this is really just the where we should pause for a second because I can tell you certainly to back then, and I think most of the companies today, and you know, I've come from a place where in the product or if you wanted to have a conversation with a customer, what's the process? You try to find who's the sales team that is engaged, you know, whose account that is. And then you kind of work your way through your sales and the SEs and whatnot. And you kind of try to line a meeting with the prospect or with that customer. And then you finally get some time and, and you do that. Here, the equation was flipped. I could just log in 
And I could see who was on cloud search, where they were in cloud search, what was their journey, were they going up, were they going down, right? I didn't need that. So that was sort of the pivotal moment for me. And at that point, basically a seed got planted that as we used to say back then, you know, in the fullness of time, as more and more companies shift to the cloud, this is the model where companies will need to operate. And then later I will sort of connect the dots on why then this le and leads to usage-based pricing and bunning, but that is the foundation. So that's sort of how, you know, my journey sort of unfolded. This was kind of going on in the back of my mind as I was kind of thinking through all of this. And, and you know, there, there's more to unpack there, but that's that's sort of where it started. So the data acquisition side is really where you um, you made the connection there. And you you took it, when you left Amazon, you took it into the the billing side with the usage-based billing. You, again, that was the way Amazon did billing, but you took that as the direction to go. And that's right. how you created Amberflow, right? Was, was from, but you, your focus has always been on the data collection and, and data aggregation side of that equation. Sounds, is that correct? That is correct. And, and that is our, our thesis at Amberflow. Uh, as we are just talking about it, you know, it is informed from that experience clearly. But I think even I would say, you know, if you have not had a chance to, or if you haven't worked at an AWS or another cloud provider, um, I think by and large, the awareness is there now that, you know, when you say usage-based pricing, let's just unpack each word, usage-based pricing. The operative word here is usage. Okay. And... Yeah, basically, you can almost argue that that's a euphemism for data. So if you want to be successful with usage-based pricing, you first need to get your act together on usage. If you have, if you're not doing accurate, correct usage instrumentation, aka metering of usage, you are never going to get ahead of usage-based pricing and billing, my friend. You will... Right, so... So metering is both the collecting of the data, but also the limiting of the use of data. Is that correct? Right. Correct. That is right. So metering is, and this is also, you know, the lesson I learned. And, and you know, so uh, I think companies are now realizing, and metering is, I think, finally getting its due, if you ask me, and recognition, right? Uh, and I think there's still ways to go for people to kind of really sort of wrap their head around this. Because, you know, there are other... Uh, quote-unquote, tools for instrumentation. I mean, we're all familiar with observability, with monitoring, with logging. You know, these are all data pipeline, data ingestion, event ingestion tools. So that's so uh, data ingestion level of, quote-unquote, measurement, some level of instrumentation tools have existed for a while. So then the question is, what is special about metering? Why could we not do this through monitoring or observability or logging? And there's a distinct reason of why AWS has metering and others do have metering. And now you can see it's not just all the cloud providers. Anybody who's achieved a level of scale in usage-based pricing and billing, you can look up their LinkedIn profile and you'll find there's a team doing metering inside. Mm -hmm. So metering is the artifact primitive that guarantees, you know, it's built basically on the backs of concepts of item potency and data deduplication which you cannot say about observability, monitoring, and logging. They're designed for a different, they're not designed for that. So whole different use case, right? Yeah. Okay. And therefore now 
you know, if you, if the design thesis for metering is item potency, data duplication, which basically means simple terms, it is an accurate system of measurement. Accurate is the key, accuracy. And, uh, and, and this is the, the dots connecting for you because if you are going to drive your business and make those decisions on the backs of this data, and just the time when you're making that decision, you shouldn't have to pause yourself and look around the room and ask the question, hey, by the way, the data we're looking at, is this accurate? If you find yourself asking that question, you do not have a metering service in place. I never found once anybody asked the question in that meeting, is this data accurate? That ship sailed several years ago when the foundation for metering was put in place. And for that reason, the foundation of metering put in place that once and for all, we will guarantee that this is the system for accurate usage instrumentation. Now you've got that, yes, you know, metering. Um, and that's really the difference between between what you're trying to do and an observability platform like like New Relic, for instance. We, we talked about New Relic earlier. Um, and and the, the difference there is observability is all about figuring out as much as you can about the system without bothering the system. And so accuracy isn't critical. I mean, you want it to be as accurate as possible, but accuracy is less important than not impacting the system. But when it comes to metering, Correct. you're absolutely impacting the system and you expect to impact the system. And in fact, you want to control the system in some respects when it comes to limiting, but accuracy is the most important thing. So your, your whole premise for how you, um, how you measure the data is a very different process than it is for observability. There you go, 100%. You know, metering, like observability, uh, okay, are you up, are you down? That is right. sort of the thesis for observability. Maybe you can add to that, okay, are you, if you're up, uh, how hard are you running? Okay, that's observability. Okay. Metering is what is being used by whom Customer X and used this approach. amount for this period of time at this day. You got it. I mean, metering has the customer attribution in that event stream. Observability will have the function call at most. Okay. Observable, uh, metering has the customer attribution on whose behalf is this event? Who is on this? Who's making use of this? When, since when have they been making use of this? How long has they been making use of this? Right. How much use have they made? That is metering. And, uh, so let's go from that. So we've got metering in place. Um, the next step is what you do with that data. And, you know, the metering by itself does not imply usage-based pricing, right? You can, it's important to have metering for lots of different purposes, including, you know, limits-based and subscription-based pricing and lots of other pricing models. But specifically, you think that usage-based pricing is going to be the future um, for how business is conducted in both B2B and B2C from our conversations earlier. Talk to me a little bit about that. So you've, you've got all this data, but how you build it is this is a specific process that is based called usage-based pricing. Talk about why that and why that's important. Yeah, so uh, just maybe I'll, I'll, make a, I'll make a broad statement and then please I'll try to sort of back it up or at least defend it. So I believe usage-based pricing will become and is already on its way to become the dominant business model. 
In fact, I would even go as far as saying that uh, the corollary to that, you know, would be called the subscription-based model or the preceit or the user-based, not user, user-based model, subscription model, in my view, was an aberration in the history of software. It should have never happened. It was purely an aberration. We as an economy, as a GDP, as a worldwide economy of people and movement of goods and purchasing of goods, uh, are inherently consumption-based. That's what the humans are or what this, how the world, as they say, go around. You pay for the nights you sleep in the hotel. You pay for the miles that you travel on an airplane. You pay for how much you how much food you eat at a restaurant. You pay for how many how much groceries you you buy at a rest a grocery store. You're not subscribing to all of these places. This is just how the world has been. So subscription really has been an aberration, and we can argue you know, why that even landed on on the scene. But not only that, uh, my view is that at least one third, if not one fourth, or you know at least one fourth, if not one third of the tech GDP today is shelfware thanks to subscription people have bought have paid but have not used yeah so this is uh so when i said earlier a dominant model is going to be the usage-based pricing and billing there are many vectors working in that direction but let's first even like you know let's even have, ask the question why did it even arrive in the first place because you're right Metering by itself does not mean you have to be usage-based pricing and billing. So far, what we've discussed, metering just a good, healthy operations playbook for operating in the cloud. That's it. You 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 don't need to have usage-based pricing, but metering is just a good, healthy way of running your operations, right? Okay, so that's that. But usage-based pricing and billing, when I say it's going to be the dominant model, let's even ask the hard question, why did even AWS decide to do it? Why did even the first vendor decide to do usage-based? Because clearly it's more of a heavy lift, right? Compared mm -hmm. to let's even AWS could have launched S3 on a some kind of a fixed model. Right. They decided right. usage based. Anyway, so you know the, the reason why we believe that usage based pricing will dominate is for the very very simple fact. Nobody's going, can argue the fact that cloudly by nature is elastic, right? It is right. you know. So you dial it up, you can dial it down on demand. That is the foundational economic thesis for cloud. As we used to say, the cloud first principles are elasticity. That's it. In fact, so much so, you know, what, what you and I call cloud computing, really what we're saying is elastic computing. I mean, cloud is just nothing in the sky. But when we say cloud computing, right. we're saying elastic computing. So if, you're if, you're, if the infrastructure that you are building, your company, your product, your service, or whatever, if that is elastic, in the fullness of time, for you to achieve maximum operational efficiency in the middle, as your company operating playbook, what you then sell to your customers also has to be on an elastic basis. As simple as that. You, know, you can still do whatever you want, but if you want full alignment, if you want that stuff in the middle to have alignment to what you're selling, and then on the backs of it, how much you are consuming on the back end of cloud infrastructure, what your margin in the middle has to be. The only way you can achieve maximum alignment within that, you will find that in the fullness of time, you must also sell on an elastic model. Right. I stand behind that. That is the thesis of why the world is going to go to usage-based pricing. Then we can layer all these additional economical artifacts that people are now discovering 
you know, this whole PLG motion, you know, it uh, drives organic growth, lowers barrier to entry, streamlines, you know, onboarding, adoption. All of those are then the resulting artifacts. But that is the underlying thrust. So let's talk about the, the debate a little. So let's let's keep focused on B2B for a moment here, because I think that's that's where a lot of this is going to be coming. But in the B2B mi- mindset, um, usage-based pricing is, has clear advantages from the standpoint of, of you only pay for what you use for. But it does lack one piece that is that is valued by many companies, especially CFOs, and that is predictability, right? The, the advantage of a subscription model is you know exactly how much your bill is going to be every month, and you can plan for it and predict for it. But usage-based uh, pricing, you can't do that. It's the, your bill varies depending on how much you use. Right. So, what do you, what do you hear from your customers? What What do you do? What do you? What's your your thoughts on those on that debate? Very cool. And I I, I hear a lot about this, as you might imagine. This is definitely one of the hurdles we can call it. Right? There's definitely a concern from CFOs uh, and others uh, about this quote-unquote, lack of predictability in visibility. So here's uh, here's what I would say. Again, some of this is informed from uh, our own experience, a little bit, you know, of course, from AWS, but, you know, a time has gone by. There's plenty of other case studies and stories. See, here's the thing. The folks who are raising that concern, rightfully so, uh, but I would say have not experienced uses, usage-based pricing. So stay with me for a second, um, uh, and I, I and I say that in, in the in the in the best spirit. Where if you f- talk to the CFOs who have experienced usage-based pricing, actually end up swearing by it. So, so a couple of things. So first is, this is really nothing but growing pains. This is not a limitation. It's organizational maturity. Yeah, what it is. is. Yeah. This is not a limitation of the business. Okay, let's let's just be very clear about that. And this is not me pontificating or prophesizing anything like that. I mean, just pick your favorite uh, provider who's achieved a level of scale. Let's just go with AWS and CR from there. Yeah. If there if there was some material foundational problem with this business model, they would have dialed it back many many years ago. If anything, they're only doubling it down as they go farther up the stack. Everything is on the usage based model. So Amazon has to do forecasting. AWS has to do forecasting. If anything, you and I both know that they're maniacal about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Best forecasts that I have seen on the backs of those reports are actually at AWS of all the companies I've worked on. So talk to the CFOs at Snowflake. Talk to the CFOs and all that. They will swear by this model. Now, it is. It is. Uh, I will concede, it is a little bit of a heavy lift because you do need infrastructure to get that visibility. So we can unpack that, but let me just also sort of come full circle. When I say it is a not a limitation of the business model, it, it just all it means is you don't have the right tooling. But keep in mind that, you know, the moment we say usage-based pricing, you know, the first thing that lands in our mind is sort of this pay-as-you-go, pay-in-arrears model, which does have, okay, what is that predictability? But guess what? You know, a prepaid, drawn down on a consumption basis, is a very viable and a legit usage-based business model. So uh, AWS there isn't done. just one way to do that. That's, yeah, exactly. that's a good way to do that and accomplish it. 
That's right. We do it already. You know, pay us, you know, hundred thousand dollars up front. You know, you're going to be at least using that that much of our services, but we're still going to draw down against that hundred thousand dollars based on actual usage. And it's the fair, fair deal because you know that protects you against a downturn, right? Whatever, or you know, uh, so that's the right model. Hundred K gives the CFO visibility. That's the budget we're going to spend on this company. And then you draw down and then you will see, okay, if we are drawing down faster than we anticipated, well, that's visibility. It's not just going to land on you one fine day as a surprise. You can kind of see that, how that's progressing month over month. Right. So, so many ways. And like I said, the best thing I can say is look at other companies who achieved a level of scale. They've gotten past this point uh, very well. In fact, you know, I know Snowflake is another window that the CFO there who actively talks about uh, how they've been scaling their business on the backs of usage-based models. Another thing I like to talk about is the um, the, ver- the difference between expense versus COGS, you know, cost of goods sold, because that's the other change here too. Typically, when you buy um, uh, an ex- a subscription-based service, that that's an expense, but a a usage-based product you can put into COGS, and COGS usually is a cheaper form of money, if you will, than expensed money, because it's money that's directly related to incoming revenue. And so the more revenue you get inbound, the more money you send outbound, and uh, you ha- and that gives you a different level of predictability. It's predictability in the profit margins, not necessarily predictability in actual dollars. And, and that can be useful too, but that's, that's a mindset shift for companies to, to think about. But that, that's what I often talk about to, for the same argument is that it, it is predictable. It's just predictable in a different way to a business. That is right. So, getting back to Amberflow, um, so you you do the, the 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 data collection, the metering, um, the billing aspects of that, and the analytics that go along with all of that. That's but right. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so that's right. You know. So we are. Uh, you know. We talked a lot about metering. That's kind of the DNA. But basically, you know, uh, metering, as you said, is really kind of behind the scene. The value add is. Businesses are now wanting to go or at least experiment or dip their toe. Some have already just lock, stock, and barrel, just want to go full on out and shift to a usage-based business model. We help them do that. So we we provide a, a platform that we call cloud metering and a usage-based pricing and billing platform. So it's all in one, slightly different approach to design. We call it a decoupled platform. So our metering service is decoupled from pricing and billing so that it gives you that full level of control, and there's different teams who can work on it, but it's ultimately, you know, it's integrated. And what it's allowing you to do is, if you're thinking about a new product launch, you think about, you know, should I go shift to usage-based pricing and billing? We can help you with that. So we come in, we will help you do usage instrumentation, as we talked about, but then we also help you build those customer-facing, flexible, usage-based pricing plans that you're going to then sell your product that your customers are going to consume on a usage basis, and we manage the entire life cycle of that. So tracking those events, generating those plans on the backs of those plans, generating on-demand, accurate, metered invoicing and billing. So soup to nuts, and we, then we have an integration with the payment gateway. We also collect payments on that on your behalf, show you the dashboard, and anytime anybody in your organization can log in, back to the question, what is being used by whom, when, what, where, how much, and how much is it costing us, and how much... Are they paying us? That's, and imagine for, for a lot of companies, visibility into this data by the sales force is an incredibly important aspect of how this works. So you, you just 
announced a recent uh, um, uh, product to help with that. Is that correct? That is correct. So we uh, we have announced the launch of our Amberflow application for Salesforce. And what this is, is uh, we just discussed, rightfully so. So who is going to be the most hungry to get visibility into this data? Your customer-facing team. They want to know what are my users, existing customers, prospects who are perhaps on a PLG motion, or even otherwise, on a free trial, on a free tier, when is a good time to engage with them? You know, you don't, you don't want to just bombard them every couple of days. Hey, how are things going? You want to come back to them with something meaningful. Hey, John, I see that, you know, you've been in the free trial for 16 days and I see your usage has been growing. You've also invited a few other members of your team. You know, here's something that I can help you with. You know, would you like to engage in a conversation? That's a meaningful reach out versus, you know, hey, John. Database oh, reach out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so for those folks, customer facing, so sales team, also customer success. This is the whole definition of customer success and the usage base. The PLG world is you got to be proactive rather than being reactive. So how do you be proactive? You got to have visibility into this data. So through our application for Salesforce, we're able to project this information to where the sales folks and customer success teams live, which is basically Salesforce, and bring this data right there. Uh, they don't have to change their behavior in, in terms of they don't have to learn any new tool. They can now see for the first time, real-time view into what my customers are doing on our product and have real-time dashboards and then take proactive action. Cool. This is really, really great. You know, and my biggest problem now is I've got so many directions we could take this conversation, some great things we could talk about, about, uh, you know, the value of, of uh, PLG versus, uh, versus uh, um, uh, you know, the, the models that go with that and how usage-based pricing helps enable that and all sorts of different directions we can take that. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, and so what I think we're going to need to do is we're going to need to do another one of these at some time in the near future. And hopefully you're willing to come back and, uh, and uh, we can have, we can continue this conversation. But right now we're out of time for, um, for, um, for this episode. Um, so P Punit Gupta is the CEO and founder of Amberflow, a usage-based pricing management service. And he's been my guest today. Punit, thank you so much for this great conversation. And thank you for joining me in Software Engineering Daily. Pleasure is all mine, Lee. Really appreciate uh, you having me. It's a great conversation. Certainly look forward to having another chat with you. Love to just, you know, you can curbside me any day, anytime. I'm sure we'll have to talk about it. So thank you. Sounds great. Thank you. Very cool.